0: What since the yeah. second half really? How much they've really struggled. Mind. set Charged with finding some stability from this
1: scrum, and he can't find it. That's a mighty shot. A mighty one, Leicester. Well, the scrum battle
0: resumes now, and a big shot from Brazil. Oh, that's sensational! Here comes the big Georgian scrum. They're absolutely yeah. demolished. Yeah. The Georgian. Welcome back to the next episode of the Journey of a Grassroots Rugby Coach. And in this week's episode, it is part three of the three part series I had with Dr. Andy Gilbert. Andy started his grassroots coaching journey at a university level more than 20 years ago. Some of his early coaching roles included being a backs and attack coach at New Mexico State University, as well as being head coach at Kent State University and Evergreen State College. His work with the university took him to Melbourne where I caught up, where I first met Andy um, and he used his background in education to coach uh, under sixes at the Eltham Rugby Club for a few years and then he returned to the US where he's continued coaching youth rugby and he's worked with the same group of kids moving them from under eights through to under 14s for the last six years at Loudon Youth Rugby in the state of Virginia. In the first two episodes, we spoke about not getting hung up on results, but focusing on the performance of the players and not coaching young players to win, but coaching them so they develop their skills for the future and how he uses players from his senior team to help him at training. So that was episode one. So feel free to go back and have a listen to that one if you haven't already. And in episode two, uh, Andy spoke about how he's improving the parents' rugby IQ In the non rugby community where he lives, and how he uses footage and some other means around improving IQ for the players and the parents and coach development in the US as well. In this episode, Andy spoke about his thoughts on where he thought USA rugby was heading and how he uses gamification at training. As I said, this is the last part of a three part series with Andy, so if you haven't listened to the first two, Go back, have a listen. There's heaps of good stuff in there around coaching kids and in a non rugby community. So sit back, relax, enjoy, and hope you get something out of this.
1: Um, And over here, you know, we have pockets of good youth rugby. Uh, Washington, D.C., is one, Utah, Southern California, Colorado, um, parts of Texas, North Carolina. So we have these pockets that are pretty solid youth players, that that's what I'm excited about is, you know, I'm so sick of hearing the United States is a sleeping giant. I'm, I'm tired of hearing it. I don't want to hear it anymore because I think it doesn't help us because um, we're not. We're a, we're a developing rugby nation, mm-hmm. right, that has a massive geography to deal with. I mean, we're as you understand, the yeah. continent, right? It's the same thing as your continent where you have these great players in Perth and these great players in Victoria or these great players in New South Wales. But how hard is it to get them together? You know, if you wanted to put together a Colts side and the very best players in Australia, you got a big geography to deal with, right? We have the same problem here. We have problems with talent recognition because we have so many cities and so many kids playing in so many places. How do you find them? But I'll say this my son understands the game better at 12 than I did at 25. Cause I started at 18 and I didn't have the coaching and the experience that he's had, you know, he had coach Tom was his first coach Mm. right there in Australia He's pretty damn good grassroots coach himself. And so he's had, he's gone to super 15 (laughs) from the time he could walk right? in Melbourne. Yeah. And now like, you know, when we were out at a MLR game and it's not the same standard, but it's a better standard than we've seen in this country before. Um, but we're sitting in the stands watching Andy Ellis absolutely carve up the back row of old glory. Mm-hmm. And my son's watching, and I'm noticing, he's saying to me afterward, I was like, what are you seeing? Cause I could tell he was watching the game, a particular way. He's like, I'm listening to how Andy Ellis is, marshalling the forwards and organizing the backs and getting the attack. So he's understanding what Ellis is doing and learning from watching Ellis. And, you know, and then the coolest part is we waited around 15 minutes after the game and Ellis came over and signed his singlet and talked with him about playing rugby. And we just, so we're at a really cool time over here right now. Uh, But I still think we're a generation away from probably competing with teams like Italy, maybe occasionally with Scotland. I know we beat Scotland a few years ago, but we all know it was their second side with a few good, maybe their third side with a few good players. Um, you know, with our best, I don't think teams like Scotland can send their seasides anymore and expect to hammer us. Yeah. Uh, so we've improved some, but we got, a, we got a long way to go. But I'm really proud of this current batch of USA players. I think they've changed the, the dynamic, to be honest.
0: Yeah, and I think you guys are at where Japan were um, about the 2003 World Cup, I think it was. I remember watching Japan get beat like 100 and something nil by the All Blacks.
1: <laughs> yes, 148 and like to something. something.
0: Yeah, some, something lots to not many. Um, and then, but like in three World Cups, you know, that 10 to 12 year period, like mm. they beat the Springboks there they're now competitive. So I think, yeah, I think you're right. It's probably going to be a generation away. Um, but, and
1: I think you're yeah, moving the- in the
0: right, they're moving in the right way too. I think.
1: Another thing that I'd like to see us not do <laughs> is court all these football players and just try to make these crossover athletes. So they start playing at 23, 24 years old. Um, cause quite honestly, it's, it's too hard. Right. Um, and it, it takes too long. So someone like Carl Niles, I deeply respect because we've watched him develop into a very good rugby player, not just a fast player. Um, but Perry Baker, people don't realize this, he was much better from the beginning because he played in high school for four years. So he had some base by the time his yeah. NFL and you know, his NFL dream didn't pan out. He had a base there, but yeah, people are like, oh, how great would Trenton Holiday be? He's like, like 10, 15 years ago, who ran a 10-100 for LSU. He'd be fast, but you know, all black sevens showed what can happen if you're just fast, right? Mm. They attack you in defense. When you have the ball in hand, they just run you into touch, take the ball, right? They run yeah. two guys at you, make you make a decision, and they beat you every time. So you know, we, I think we need to give up on the crossover athlete and focus on this kid may not be as dynamic, but you know what? This kid's been playing eight years. Let's develop this talent. Right. So I I think that's where we're probably missing the boat right now, but I think with time, you know, this generation that's been playing since they were five.
0: Yeah. uh, You know, they'll start to come through. Yep. Um, And hopefully that generation of players doesn't or, like the governing body over there doesn't do what they tend to do here in Australia and go, oh, we'll bring all these young guys in. And they get toweled in their first season because they come up against, you know, and they go, oh, they're all no good. Well, yeah, of course. They're playing in their first professional year or, you know, like I hope they do what Brad Thorne did with the Reds rather than what New South Mm -hmm. Wales rugby did with the Waratahs and just let Brad Thorne stick with it. Um, rather than go, oh, you've got all these young blokes now, and you haven't won a game. We're going to get rid of you. Um, yeah, and that—that's a discussion for another day. And I think after a couple of right. years, don't, we'll open. Th- don't
1: <laughs> open that can, <laughs> of worms. Oh
0: no, 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 no. Um, <laughs> um, you touched on gamification there at training. Um, I know back when I started coaching and even as a player, it wasn't—it wasn't a thing that we did. Um, no. It was all, you know, corner drills and straight line passing and all that type of stuff that you, you cringe at now. Um, gamification is making, I reckon, it's good. Anything and the more game, even at senior level, the more games they can play. Um, what does what does your session look like around that gamification process?
1: Well, you know, it's it's funny. Even if you just start making little competitions. So like um and I coach with this Englishman who despite being an Englishman is a pretty good guy. Um so <laughs> he he's got a bunch of great ideas and a lot of times it's something really simple, but just making a little competition out of it. You know, like yeah. balancing the talent and the speed, right? And then putting those teams together and just seeing and watching the kids compete, where it's just doing some simple relay with hands, right? Mm. But once but once you're having them race to the line, like running past one another, right? Where it gets, you know, or then uh, sometimes allow them to, you know, deflect the pass as they run by if they if they want to or little things where they can mess with each other and get them thinking a little bit. But some of the ones for fitness, because I la- I would rather do fitness through games rather than just fitness to run, right? Because we all know you have more fun getting fit playing, <laughs> And so, um, you know, it's no secret and I'm sure people have done this for years, but like ultimate frisbee, we do mm-hmm. ultimate rugby where it's just okay. kicking, kicking the rugby ball in any direction. Um, but they can only kick. So it's a bit like footy almost, um, you mark a guy and that guy can run out and they can kick in any direction. Once they catch it, they can take two steps and then kick, um, you know, and it's, it's really just about getting them to sprint across the field and they can't score unless like five guys cross the line with them. It's little things like that to get them all running. Um, you know, so that, that's one, we have, what do we have? Prop idol is another, which sort of a, that's a brutal fitness game, but it's just, it's literally just a cycle of rucks where one guy has to go through and hit different, different ruck situations, and get himself realigned four or five times through and I think that might be one we stole from the Kiwis, but the kids are gassed afterward. I mean, we run that for 20 minutes and the kids are all just begging and we make the backs run it too. It just makes everybody better at rocking and hitting. And so, um, but those kind of things, you know, and then we elect a prop idol. So the kids watch everyone else and they elect like first star, second second star, third star, right? So like kind of stole that from hockey but the top three prop idols. And you'd be amazed how hard those kids will work to get voted by their peers to be a prop yeah. idol, right? And you get voted by like, man, that little guy just smashed me right on my butt, <laughs> right? So like he's got my vote or, or mm-hmm. that guy's tough as nails. I can't get him off the ball. And so they, and then they think about, right? What they're doing there about who they're going to vote for and why. Right. And I'll often ask too, when we're voting, hey, why'd you make him your first your first prop idol? They're like, oh, because, you know, he hit me like I was reaching for the ball and he crushed my ribs. <laughs> like, you yeah, know, felt it. So it's it's those little things that can get those sixth graders, you know, fired up and get yeah, them to think about. Yeah. It. Cause it's hard to I mean, rucking's not fun. I mean, it might be fun for guys that built like you. But, you know, it's generally not, you know, it's not something you're like, woohoo, right? It's like, hey, I like winning that ball, right? Or I like owning this game. But every ruck, you're not like, yay, this is exciting. <laughs> so. For some. Right, for some. For some. some. Um, now that's really
0: good, man. mate. I, I like that. And I think to a lot of young coaches, when they're starting out, they hear that gamification stuff and they go, oh, I haven't got 30 players or I haven't got this or I haven't, you know, I haven't got enough players. But for me, a 2v1 is a game. Of course. You know, or 5v5 or, you know, if you've got one team running, if you've got one guy running against another guy, even if it's a 1v1, that's a game.
1: And, And, you know, know, and
0: and, and unless these kids are standing in lines and, and doing all this stuff, and then you can put your fitness in there and you can put this on top of it and that on top of it. So yeah, don't, yeah, we
1: don't do, be scared of it. We do all sorts of things. We have ruck a war, which is basically just one-on-one rucking in a little mm-hmm. three meter box and whoever gets pushed out, you know, and they have, they have to, you have to cross those lines. So you stay straight in good body position. Um, we do, we have sumo champ. We'll do sumo champ. And so it's just a, it's just a ring and it's a sumo. We have two weight divisions. So it's like, Kids over hundred pounds, kids under hundred pounds. And they just go out and those kids will thrash one another Mm. to to be sumo champ. And that's something that it sounds funny, but that starts to build their toughness and it starts to build some of their mongrel. Cause I'm trying to find, to get that mongrel to come out of them because that's really what makes the difference sometimes when they go up against a team that is just as skilled or just as strong or just as fit. That little mongrel streak when it comes out can be the difference, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, so we try to do some of that just gamifying it. And then we have fun silly games too. Like this is one I um that I learned from my assistant coach Nick. Um it's just you you have six rugby balls and you set them and you, you know, split up. Two teams, three teams, whatever you need, four or five guys, uh, however many kids you have at practice. And sometimes the limit is how many balls you have. But yeah. you, put out all, you put out a pile of six balls and kids have to run, pick one up, run back, right? And they have to keep holding it. And every time it's only like 10 meters, but every time they run back, they have to pick up another ball. So they, they run out, pick up a ball, come back, run back. So they're running like 20 meters. And the last one, they're having to pick up six balls, Right. And when they come back with all six, they got to hand it to the next person, right? So they're trying to trade off these six balls and this kid's trying to carry the six. And then they set them down and run back and forth, but it's just, it's absolutely hilarious to watch like kids trying to carry six balls and run as fast as they can. And they're dropping them, trying to pick them up. And it just is something we'll do when we need to lighten, lighten the mood.
0: Yeah.
1: And it just becomes a fun thing. Uh, it's hilarious to watch, and those little things can build to some camaraderie. And sometimes it's the lanky, uncoordinated kid that can carry all six. So they're like, "Oh, I want him on my team, right?" And they're not yeah. used to that, like wanting him on there. And so it, it's just a, a load of fun. And the more fun things you can do that get everyone laughing, it just it just creates a different dynamic in practice that you, yeah. want. you know. The-
0: might you know you know the game more. So I'm, I'm at one of the first great clubs in Melbourne here. The, the warm-up that our guys love the most is the cone drill. The cone on the ground with two guys, you head, shoulders, knees, cone. And if you lose, you're out. And mate, the guy that wins that, he's like, ah, he's running around, yeah, doing all this and he's just going. It's like a, you know, it's it's a cone drill. It's, it's just the speed, and the, you know, but they, they all amp each other up and they are giving each other crap. If you get beaten, and it's just like, Oh yeah, these guys. are. And like you said, it just, it lightens the load, but it lifts the mood and it just mm-hmm. gets everyone in that, 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 especially, you know, you do that after a big conditioning session or just before it and just gets that energy yep. going. Yeah.
1: And even something simple like running for time, it's like once a month during a season or every three mm-hmm. weeks run for times, 50 meters. Right. Um, just that thing there. Say, okay, first week I tell them, you're not competing with anyone but yourself, mm-hmm. right? The next week though, I pair them up based on their times. Yeah. And go, I paired you with somebody that's relatively the same time as you beat them. Yeah. Right? And then and then they realize, wow, they just lowered their time. And so as those times come down, you can start to, to get them to compete with themselves and compete with others. And we eventually have what we call and Rugby's fastest man. Right. And what's funny is they all think it's one person. And they're all like, oh, it's definitely gonna be this guy. And what they realize is that guy's big and strong. And he just looks fast because none of the kids really want to catch him. Yeah, right. <laughs> and we got like two or three kids that are way faster than him. And they're all like, Wait, how come he's not the fastest guy? He never gets caught. I go, You know, you've seen it when when people are chasing me and you know they could catch him, but you see them thinking in their head, like, what am I gonna do if I get a hold of this guy? Like he's mm. just going to thrash me. So they just, especially with kids, they'll just drift along with them.
0: Yeah. yeah. So,
1: but those, those kind of things, that's the fun stuff, man. That's, that's, that's where you create the joy, right? Yeah. Yeah. And
0: absolutely. And that, like you said, it's a game, mate. It should be fun, especially for kids. It's fun. Even for
1: adults, it's fun. Um, and even for your kids that aren't successful or aren't great players, if they have a good time, and they build some confidence they're going to come back out yeah and we don't know we can't write kids off when they're 10 because you have no cool. idea what that kid's going to look like when he's 16 right cool. so um that's that's one of those things but if you develop their skills and confidence they'll be ready when they grow into whatever position they're going to be I and mean, your hooker might become a center your center might yeah. become a wing i mean who knows
0: yeah and that well you get that kid that you know, can't catch a cold in the middle of winter. He's never going to play anything but, you know, third or fourth grade off the bench. But he's a successful businessman and he's the major sponsor of your club or he's the club president or he's just that guy that's always there and he does everything because he just loves it. He just loves the sport and the camaraderie, and you
1: know. Um, I mean, Mark Cuban has always said he's been a huge supporter of rugby in the United States. He's yeah. always said he was never a great player. Yeah. Right. But his love for the game, mm. I'm the same. I, I was a mediocre player most of my career. I had a few good seasons. I, um, you know, but I never played representative rugby or anything like that. Never would. Um, too little, too slow, too lippy, maybe. Um, but that's, that's just the way it goes, right? What I made up, what I lacked in skill, I had to make up for in other ways. So, uh, but coaching, I feel like this is how I can really impact the sport. Right. Um, you know, and using the skills I have as a teacher to teach kids. Right. Um, that's to me, that's the big, that's the way I can give back to this game that has been so good to me over the years, introduced me to so many great people across the world and, Mm. you know, saw the world that I probably wouldn't have been interested in seeing without being connected to this game. Um, you know, so it's, it's pretty awesome. Mm.
0: I, I was laughing inside when you said you don't talk to the referee from the sideline. Uh, you've obviously changed and mellowed in yes. the last few years, mate.
1: <laughs> well, I think it's different when you're a coach, but certainly, yeah. <laughs> often. And I think maybe, you know, when you're at the club there in Australia and you're at the clubhouse and you got four beers in you and, uh, you know, you might say a few things that you might think are funny from the sidelines. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, so let's, I just wanted to touch on that gamification a little bit more. And, and you spoke before about like the style that you want to play is every now and again, you're going to drop the ball every now and again, mm-hmm. you're going to kick to the space and that guy's not where he should be. Um, with regards to errors at training, like if if they drop a ball at training or or they make the wrong decision, what's your... I suppose it's not a philosophy, but what's your thinking around allowing them to make those mistakes and what do you do after the mistake?
1: Yeah, I think it depends on the situation. There'll be times where I tell them like, listen, we're focusing on accuracy right now. So get your hands right. A lot of times if everything's done well and somebody drops a ball, I'm okay with it. If it's, um, Sometimes it's our reaction to it. So if it's a crap pass and people are just standing around, that's when I that's when I crack the shits and I'm like, what are you going to do? Are you going to do that in a game? Like, oh, I threw a bad pass and I'm just going to stand around. So sometimes it's how we react to that mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's context specific where I'll tell them like, hey, every pass we drop in this drill is another 50-meter sprint in a training. However, every time we run it perfectly and crisply and it looks great, I'm going to take one of those fifties away. Right. So yeah. it's part of that. And sometimes I'll, cause I, you know, got beat up by too many guys your size. Um, I'll turn to my assistant coach and go, "Hey, keep track of this, will you? <laughs> cause I'll forget. And so um, but just keeping track of that stuff where they're automatically not, there's not just the negative consequence. It's also a positive consequence of doing it right. And it builds that idea of like, Hey, if we can be accurate. Good things will happen. Um, and then, you know, two is not getting bored. I think sometimes act, things happen at training when we're a little bored. So if we do the same drill for too long, sometimes yeah. we'll lose our accuracy. The newness will wear off. Um, uh, so it's about mixing things up, yep. right? Trying to keep that newness going. Uh, but for the most part, I don't try to be too draconian. Um, but if, for instance, if a ball hits the ground and somebody doesn't dive on it or, People aren't fighting over it, and it's, or we just spilled it, and somebody stands there complaining. Um, you know, my big pet peeve is when a kid's got his hands in his pockets. Mm. So that'll be, that'll be a stop everything immediately, and we'll go hit the hill for five, 10 minutes, come back. Because if your hands in your pockets, you can't tackle, you can't catch, right? Nothing. Yeah. And so I've got a couple of kids that are just always, their arms folded, same deal you've got to be ready at all times. So yeah. it's, it's just habits of mind, man. Just building those little things to make them ready so that, you know, when it does happen in a game, they know how to react. I mean, they know sometimes too, if it's pressure defense, they know if they can get that ball away or not. Right. And it's okay to get tackled. It's okay. To suck the ball up and, you know, Try to gain as much as you can rather than throw in a 50-50 ball. So that's the other thing, too, is getting them to understand that culture. It's okay if the ball stops in the centers, right? If it doesn't get out the way we want it to. Yeah. But let's take it up and reset, and now let's think about our new platform, right? We call it – I mean, we joke with the kids. We call it rugby calculus, and basically it just it's little things, right? It's just if you have rugby calculus, there's a huge guy standing in front of you and an unmarked player outside of you, why would you ever run into the huge guy? And they're like, yeah. well, I don't know. But they do it, right? And so try to get them to see, like, what's the rugby calculus here? And then when it happens in a game, then as a coach, you build that up, right? So, that it's, so it's a lot of times about that positive reinforcement of building when they do something right. You know, I ran out on the field this year and hugged a player who I could never get to hustle. Yep. I didn't know how to like a fire in him and he hit a breakdown at 40 meters and the ball got out and he hit another breakdown about 15 meters off the goal line like one breakdown to the next breakdown big prop and I was so excited <laughs> not and we scored I wasn't excited about the try so I'm jumping up and down yelling and I run out on the field and I hug the kid right and I'm like buddy that's exactly what I need from you and when we come off the field one of the parents goes, coach, you know, we scored, right? I was like, yeah, but did you see what happened here? Yeah. Like that's the kind of way you build, you build the kid up. So he knows, yeah. Oh, I did something right. Right. Rather than I'll constantly screaming at him. Why aren't you running? Yeah. You know, cause it doesn't yeah. help. No,
0: no, not at all. <laughs> not, at, not at all. Um, yeah. No, that's, that's a good insight there, mate. Um, yeah. Kids. It's, you got to get that right you got to get the right carrot and the stick blend right for for kids um, sometimes you need think, a bigger stick and sometimes you need a bigger carrot right yeah and you
1: know it's funny coaching men you know I've only ever coached university and and below um, and I don't know if I'm that excited to teach a men's club i think in a men's club it's a whole different set of situations right where they might think they have the skills but they don't and you're trying to reteach something, they're like, no, I already know that. Um, you know, Especially over here where you got guys who are like, no, we're going to run four in, four out pods. And just, uh, you know, I'm like, okay. So, you know, run from 15 meters deep and you're like, hey, the 90s called, they want their rugby back. And they don't understand <laughs> that you're trying, you know, that the game, the modern game is different. Yeah. It's just not the game that you played in the 90s. And, and so I think that, trying to teach them modern attack and stuff like that could be kind of tough. Both kids, the clean slates, man, I just, I'm teaching them how to pass, I'm teaching them how to tackle. And then for them, it's just the next step about attack and the way we want to attack space and the way we want to get after it. You know, and that forwards don't just stay in the middle of the field, right? Forwards are, you know, forwards are backs and backs have to be forwards. And it's just the way this works now.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome, man. Awesome. Um, Think back to probably the first, that first year you started that coach, when you first started coaching, um, what advice, if you went back in time now, what advice would you give yourself? Knowing what you know now. And, and that can be also not just your coaching, but you know, all the studies you've done and um, all that other stuff. What advice would you give yourself as, as that young coach on that, that first year where you get your bag of balls and a whistle and you're out herding cats.
1: Just relax. I don't know. <laughs> right. I, I think back to that first year I was coaching. I was probably way more uptight than I needed to be, um, and probably was l- less helpful uh, in that first, you know, couple of months. Um, I, I mean, I know with that team when I went out, they were used to coaching themselves. <laughs> And that and was sort of, they were running that was very very old style, you know, early 90s sort of game and, you know, and they won one game and they had a really good bunch of athletes. And I can remember at training where they were just, everything I want to do, they were like, well, this is the way we do it. And I was really uptight. And I remember just saying in my training, "It's like, well, if you want to keep winning one game a season, that's fine. Yeah. You just go on what you're doing. I'll hang out occasionally. I'll go have beers with you guys after the game and, and we'll, you know, or do you want to get better? And it was probably not the most tactful way of handling that situation. But certainly if I, I think I would have probably done, and we, we did pretty well with that team. I mean, we turned them around, got in the playoffs and, but I think if I had just relaxed a little bit more and been more in myself, let more of my personality come through, um, I think maybe that competitive, lippy halfback, mm-hmm. I had too much of that when I first started coaching. Coaching is very different than playing. Yeah, um, It's such a different experience. Uh, I think once, and to be honest, I learn from every coach that I watch, I learned from every coach that I played for, and I learn from every coach that I see you know, and I watch professional coaches and they're very different than grassroots coaches in a lot of mm. ways. Right. Yeah. And not yeah. that I try to emulate them, but I try to say, well, why are they so different? Mm. What is it they're doing? That's so different. And I've chatted with a few at old glory and they're much more cerebral than your typical grassroots coach. They're less worried about controlling every little thing, mm. right. In terms of, they let a lot of their assistants worry more about that. So But when I watched great, my son had a great wrestling coach, fantastic coach. When I watched him after a kid lost a tight match or won a tight match or anything, he would say to them often, okay, tell me what you saw when you did this. So he was never like, why'd you do this? That's terrible. Yeah. Tell me what you were seeing when you went for that double leg, which is, a you know, a dangerous move in an overtime, but you, but you wanted to pull it off, you know, and, and my you know, my kid's like, well, I saw him turn his head and look at the clock. And I knew I had an opening and the coach was like, yeah, good stuff. Yep. I didn't see that. Yeah. And so it reminds me, and I learned from watching Mike Friday when his players come off the field, you hear him sometimes he's like, what do you see? Yeah. Cause he knows and understands the players are seeing things differently than he is on the sidelines. And so it's powerful sometimes, you know, I very rarely talk about strategy at halftime. It's usually just about getting them to stay in the game or you know, get fired up. and uh, but I'll ask my captains, what do you see what and what do we need to improve on?" And so those kind of things, and I'm learning from other coaches all the time, and is another thing I would have told myself then: Watch great coaches see what they do. Yeah a mighty shot, a mighty... And Lesnar have driven them Jesus. off their own ball. That is monstrous. ...held at the back by the foot of Benmore. They turned in England, marching it on, whirling it a but still there, there's the pass.